Revelation 20, verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would minister these words to our hearts. For none of us are capable of fully exposing what is revealed here. Show to us what we as individuals need to see. In Jesus' name I plead, amen. You may be seated. In my office, in my study, there are four beautiful handmade bookshelves. Brother Kilgard put them together for me uh, more than 30 years ago. Not counting the decorative, decorative tops to them, I have some books up there. Just the regular shelves on these uh, bookshelves uh, is about uh, 100 feet of library space. They cover one wall, they cover another wall, and then my third wall there's a window, and then the fourth wall there's a, a closet. So uh, every available inch of space has these bookshelves and lots of books. Filling those shelves are between 2,500 and 3,000 religious books. In contrast and in addition to the books in my library, I also have my King James Bible sitting on my desk within, uh, touch, within the touch of my hand and falling right there below my eyes. It is always there unless I bring it to church, which is uh, fairly frequently. Over the years, I have either given away or burned some of the books that have been in my library in order to make room for new books and better books. But there is one book which is always there and which will never be replaced, my King James Bible. If there is ever just one book in my library, if, there, if all of them are, are gone for one reason or another, there will be one, it will be this, my, my King James Bible. Let me emphasize that in addition to, or perhaps in contrast to my library, there is my Bible. I'll return to that parallel in a few minutes. But let's first set the stage that is given to us by John here in Revelation 20. I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. This great event takes place near the end of the Bible. We have chapter 21 and chapter 22. This takes place near the end of everything as we know it. 
It follows the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennium with all of its wonderful perfections. It comes after the final foolish military battle that is initiated by rebellious humanity against God. And then the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet already are, they, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. For all intents and purposes, and this is a generalized statement, there is nothing left of the original creation except for the souls that God has created. They will be there. The Lord is there. The soul of every human being that has ever lived will be there in the presence of God. And I saw a great white throne and its glorious occupant, Jehovah Elohim. There has never been a larger, there has never been a greater throne than this throne. There has never been a throne more gloriously white. Glistering is a word that we find elsewhere in the word of God. It may be the throne which is described in Revelation 4 that is surrounded by a glorious rainbow. It is probably the same throne that Isaiah saw when he heard those words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It is the royal chair which Psalm 47 calls the throne of God's holiness. It is a throne as appropriate to Jehovah is as your favorite chair is to you. This is God's chair. This is God's throne. And before this throne, in front of this throne, before the almighty being who is seated on it, the earth and heaven fled away. Gone. Fled away. Please don't think of this scripture as some sort of religious poetry. This is not spiritual allegory. This is not church speak, whatever that is. Besides the applications and the lessons which might be taken from this description, this will become a part of literal history. The heavens and earth fled away from before this glorious being. Whatever else it might mean, those billions of people will be absolutely naked and defenseless. Can't hide behind anything. It's gone. It will be just them and God. Each and every one of them as individuals will stand before the holy righteous judge. There will be no lawyers to intervene on their behalf. There will be no one hiding behind their mama's aprons. There will be no bosses, no governments, no officers above them that they can blame for having done these things for which they are judged. None will be able to use their wicked fathers to explain the facts which are laid out at this point in time. There'll be nothing, there'll be no one but God and the sinner. You and the, and the Lord. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, 
And death and hell gave up or delivered up the dead which were in them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God as he was seated on this glorious throne. Everyone who has ever lived will be there. From Cain to Pharaoh in the days of, from the days of Moses to Pilate to Stalin. And this judge, this God, will be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, yes. the one who died on the cross. The Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. John 5, verse 22. All power, all authority is given unto Christ in heaven and in earth. Before this judge, toward the end of earthly time, shall stand every human being who has ever lived. You will stand with head hanging low, either at the, the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, or at this point in time, before this glorious throne. And if you are here, then you will go from there to be cast into the lake of fire. Verse number 15. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And here we come to my message for you this morning. The Lord has, at his fingertips, a vast library of information about you and everybody else, the rest of humanity. Pretending for a few minutes that Jehovah is not omniscient, although he is, he knows all things. There's nothing that he does not know. But pretending that Jehovah doesn't already know all things, we'll just let the Bible tell us that he has a library of books containing the biography of every one of us with detailed information about everything in our lives. I'm not going to fret about whether or not it's, uh, these are all hardbound books or uh, spiral notebooks or computerized digital files complete with pictures, uh, shorthand notes, uh, microfiche, it doesn't matter. In some fashion or other, there will be a library of information available to the righteous judge. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, which contain all their works. They'll be judged according to their works. The biography of every individual who has ever lived is in that vast library there before the Lord. Each of those books will have been written with complete deliberation. Every word in those books will have been written carefully, consciously, coolly, intentionally. Many people's lives have been written into human-authored biographies, sometimes over and over again. Why is a second biography of George Washington necessary? Or uh, Alexander Hamilton? I have three or four biographies of C.A. Spurgeon, several of them. 
Just Friday, I read that the son of Andrew Fuller, a Baptist preacher from the 18th century, Andrew, the son of Andrew decided he didn't like the biographies that had been written by his dad, so he sat down and he wrote another one. Why do we have these so many biographies? Because each observer and each different author sees things differently. So each of these books come out a little differently. I have my particular favorite of the C.H. Spurgeon books. But the omniscience of God, coupled to his other attributes, his coupled to all of the other attributes, demands that what he records is without bias, without prejudice, without any preconceived ideas. There is only one edition of your life before God. And the library of God contains that life of yours, down to every detail. Those books, along with the judgments which come as a result of their evidence, will be accurate. Those books won't record your good intentions. They will record your deeds. Oh, your heart will be involved, no doubt about that. But what you did is there before the Lord. And when the dead are judged out of those things which are written in the books, their judgment and their punishment will fit their deeds according to their works. Can anything that God does be anything less than accurate, perfect, righteous? Let's say that your car needs work. And... Uh, you take it to your mechanic and he tells you that the repairs will be about $250. He explains what needs to be done. You agree. You leave the car there and catch a ride home. Three days later he calls to say that the work is complete. You get your best friend to drive you over to the mechanics. You have your checkbook with you. And when you ask him what you owe, he hums and he haws, he looks toward the ceiling, looks past your shoulder, and he says, uh, it'll be $400. Let's say $400. Whoa! You quoted me 250 And now you're just pulling a number out of the air? $400, not 402 $400? You demand an explanation. Because he's an honest mechanic, he pulls out a, a book in which he records these things, and he details a list of all of the parts that he used and the cost to him of those parts. And he tells you down to uh, 15 minutes how long it took to do the work. There was labor involved. When you have the accurate and specific details, you still may be a little shocked, this is not what I was expecting, but because the details are there, and he's even rounded it down a little bit to $400, you say, all right, I will pay. The details in God's library are accurate to the penny, so to speak. There is no indication in this scripture that anyone will raise a finger or an eyebrow when 
the judgment is pronounced. There will not be a single word of protest because the facts will be so obvious. Guilty. Guilty. Furthermore, the records in these books will be comprehensive, complete. In the next chapter, Revelation 21, Jesus, the Alpha and Omega that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, spoke of a couple uh, blessings to certain people. But then in verse number 8 he says, in contrast, in contrast to them, the fearful and the unbelieving, the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It makes complete sense that the omniscient God would know about every murder that has ever taken place. He knew about Cain's murder of Abel and every subsequent murder even down to that one I mentioned earlier this morning, that abortion that took place, that deliberate abortion this morning. In these books, every sexual assault has been recorded and the perpetrator identified. There will not be any mistakes. There will be no misidentification when it comes to this judgment. Certainly all the major crimes are included in these accurately recorded books. But when Revelation 21 refers to all liars, it implies every sin is recorded, not just the murders. These books are not confined to major crimes like treason or murder or kidnapping. Every lie, every mean and unkind word Every act of malicious gossip, whether or not it was true, doesn't matter. All of these are in God's books. Every angry tone, every slammed door, every petty thief, every theft, every, every shoplifting, every grape that was stolen while you were walking around the grocery store is recorded in this book. These books are complete from the first act of infant rebellion to the last uh, uh, act of the dying miser. They're all there. Can you imagine the emotion that will fill that void-filled judgment hall? Perhaps the day will begin with a feeling of relief. As billions of souls who have been suffering for years in hell will have their names called, and they will leave that place. Many of them during their lives had been fed the lie that your punishment is temporary, and after you burn it all off, you'll eventually end up in heaven. As they're brought out of hell, they're thinking about that. They may experience a bit of hope, but it won't last very long. They'll be brought into the blinding Shekinah glory of the Son of God, striking fear in them that they have never experienced before. None. If they see the face of their judge at all, and I'm not sure that they will, 
If they could see his face, they'd, they'd not find a, a smiling, forgiving, joyful face. Their temporary relief and hope will turn to terror as they begin to understand what is taking place right now. Hell is not the end. Hell is not the worst. And death and hell were cast into the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Death and hell are cast into the lake of fire for eternity. When Paul was arrested, he was in Jerusalem's temple. He was brought before Ananias, the high priest, before being thrown into a Jewish prison. At that time, Paul was a notable person. He was a celebrity in some circles. He was a curiosity in other circles. He was like a circus freak. He was a spectacle with his preaching about sin and righteousness and judgment. And Felix, the Roman governor, decided he wanted some of that religious entertainment. His wife encouraged him. Acts 24 tells us, after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning faith in Christ. And as he reasoned, as Paul reasoned of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come, Felix began to tremble. And he answered, Go thy way this time, for this time. When I have conveniences, and I will call for thee. When Felix heard that he would someday stand before the divine judge, he shook with fear. When the jailer of Philippi began to see that the earth-shaking judge was nearby, he began to tremble. When Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, was shown that God's judgments were just around the corner, his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against the other. Daniel chapter 5. When the library of God is open to the public, when the books are finally opened, there will not be one person with a defiant attitude. There will not be a single excuse uttered or even thought because there will be no question about guilt. Every heart will be under the gaze of the righteous judge and it will melt, not in repentance, but in terror. And they will hear the terrifying words Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm at a loss to explain this all more forcefully. I wish I had words capable of, of fully illustrating this, this scene. It's my prayer that the Lord turns us all into Felixes and Belshazzars and, and more than that. I pray that the Holy Spirit will knock us to our knees in repentance before this holy judge. But I must leave this part of my message. 
Remember when I said that I have a library in my study at home? It wasn't too long ago. You should be able to remember that. Didn't I suggest that I would give up my library if it meant that I could keep my Bible? My library is important to me. I love my library, and I'm constantly adding to it. But my Bible is vastly more important. I'm told that the Library of Congress of the United States of America has 39 million books in it. That's a bunch of books. But they are nothing before this book. Right. All 39 million. And with that in mind, and with this scripture before our eyes, I'm here to tell you that God's vast library means nothing if your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. There is, before all the books in God's library, a single, most beautiful book called the Lamb's Book. The Lamb's Book of Life. It doesn't matter what the books by Charles Spurgeon say. It doesn't matter what John Gill in his books has said, or any other human writer. What matters is what the Bible tells us. Because it's the only book written by the inspiration of God. And I might be thinking somewhat foolishly, but by the time we get to Revelation 21, there may only be two books left. The Bible and the Lamb's Book of Life. Once the judgment of the wicked... Once the judgment of the unbelieving is completed and those for whom it is due are cast into the lake of fire, that vast divine library doesn't have a point. We certainly don't need to go back through our biography. The Lord will cleanse our minds of all of that. The only thing that will really matter in the day of judgment or in the eternal day that follows will be our name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Our scripture says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the Book of Life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And whosoever was not found written in the Book of Life was cast into the lake of fire. On the shelves of the Lord's library, there's a volume with my name on the cover. And there's another embossed with your name. My volume may be bigger than yours because I'm older than you and my sins, which are many, may exceed yours. But against that black bound volume bearing my name, there is another It may be bound in crimson red. And on its cover inscribed in gold is the title, The Book of Life. Underneath that, written by the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately for me, it doesn't matter what is written in that first book. Because my name is inscribed in the second book. One day, during Jesus' earthly ministry, 
The 70 disciples returned from a mission trip, all excited about what great things the Lord had done through them. The Lord Jesus redirected their enthusiasm by saying, Rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's the joy. More important than great religious accomplishments is our registration in the Lamb's book. Even more important than the, the litany of sins in our own biography is whether or not our name is written in Christ's book. And I'll emphasize that it is the Lamb's book of life. Who is this Lamb? This book belongs to the Lamb which taketh away the sin of the world. He is the Lamb who was slain in the will of God from before the foundation of the world. The Lamb is the one who became the substitutionary sacrifice which purchased the salvation of those whose names are in the book. Those whose names are therein have no need to fear the record in that extensive library of God because they are under the blood of the Lamb which was slain. Turn to chapter 22. Chapter 22. Verse number 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no more be, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They will need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. The Lord showed his apostle a river, a river filled with the water of life. We have several several statements which apply to Christ and his earthly ministry. We have the tree of life, the water of life. We have the light of the world. All of these things are in Christ. This is certainly the same great throne that we see in our scripture, chapter 19. The people residing on the banks of the river and drinking of its eternal waters and feasting on the tree of life, basking in the light of God's eternal Son, enjoying all of these things because their names are written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, the source of it all. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? I would be quite sure of it if you were living in humble repentance before God and your trust for forgiveness of sin and fellowship with Him is in the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. If your faith is in Christ, I'm going to 
trust that it's in this book? His book. Can you say that you believe on the Lord Jesus? Is He your Savior? Is He your hope? Accept His offer of grace and salvation by believing, trusting Him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt find thy name written in this book. Please stand.